If you're a founder building a company, you're going to eventually have to start hiring executives to help you scale. The people you bring into your leadership team can make or break your startup. I'm Nigel Robinson with Build Talent, and in each episode, we'll be speaking with a founder or expert as we discuss the art and science of hiring leaders, why it matters, and how you can keep up. Welcome to the Gradients Podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Gradients Podcast. We are here with Gia Sinto. Am I saying that right? She is partner at Launch Search Partners. She's been a recruiter for the past two decades, was at Microsoft during the early 2000s, made her way to Andreessen Horowitz in 2011, was one of the first 10 employees at Andreessen Horowitz, like really early stage there. From there, she goes on to be head of talent at Y Combinator, running an advisory and experts program for the founders over there. And she has graced us with her presence and to share some of her expertise and her insights on this space. So thank you for being with us, Gia. Oh, thank you. That's that's nice. Yeah, get ready. <laughs> <laughs> well, to start, maybe you can tell us some of the story from your side. Like, how did you get your start into recruiting? Yeah, I feel like everybody says probably the same thing. Like they never went to school thinking, oh, I'm going to be a recruiter. And that's for sure. I thought I was going to be a chef. And then I realized I was better at the front of the house, not the back of the house. But it was a friend of mine's mother, a woman named Eunice Azani, who was at a, a retained search firm called Corn Ferry International. And I met her. Anyway, <laughs> she just told me what she did and they had an opening and it was a research like analyst type role. I must have interviewed for like six months and I think they got tired and just hired me. And I didn't really understand exactly what I was getting into, but I am so grateful for that experience because it really taught me to craft. And I think that's somewhat what's missing in today's recruiting sort of training. You're really taught as an analyst to break down markets and rip apart word charts and deep go really deep in functions and understand the discipline. And that was like, that's where it all started. I started on the agency side, then went to Microsoft and built the internal executive search agency inside Microsoft and did the same thing at Cisco. And then the story goes on, but it was, yeah, yeah. yeah and I loved it. I mean, I... I'm still here. Yeah, right. Yeah, you must. That's really interesting, especially being at Microsoft during that period in particular. Yeah. yeah. And so you have this agency lifeline, you go into executive at Microsoft and Cisco. How do you eventually find your way into venture? Oh my gosh. So great question. So I was at Cisco Systems and there was an agency that I was working with on a search the way the executive search model works inside a company is probably 70-30 split. 70%, you're doing the same service level agreement as an executive recruiter. You're doing the search work. And 30%, you have to outsource because you just can't do it all. I met a person named Jeff Stump. He worked at Howard Fisher. He was a vendor for me at Cisco Systems. And we became acquaintances. And he came to me and asked for career advice and said, you know, he had one offer in hand to go to an agency and another offer in hand to go do this weird thing with Ben Horowitz and Mark Andreessen. And I'm like, oh, you have to go there. I've been trying to recruit Ben Horowitz my whole life. He's never, <laughs> never responded to me. <laughs> and so it was kind of like when Jeff told me what his vision was and what he planned on building. I feel just so fortunate that I told him, I said, look, if you ever hire anybody, call me. And he did. And I interviewed. I had to interview with Ben. I had to interview with everyone. And I got the job. 
So I fell into venture. And at the time, Ben and Mark had just literally flipped the model on its head. And I will tell you, I don't even know if we knew what we were doing, but we figured it out. And it's such a, like, there's so much information I can share on that, on that journey. But that's how I got into venture. And by the way, I think not knowing a lot about venture was good for me because I didn't have this preconceived notion going in that this is how you work with founders. This is how you think about talent. This is like, that kind of came in naive. Yeah. And I feel like everybody who came in was like, they were trying, not only were a lot of the people that going in were new to venture, but like you were saying, they were trying to like kind of reinventure. I think they were going after, what was it? The Hollywood agency model versus a venture. And so- what were those early days like? I guess you didn't have expectations, but you're fixing the plane while you're flying it. That's right. How did you leap into that? Can you give us a little bit of sense of that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'll kind of go back in my head. I think year one and year two, the portfolio was much smaller. So we had less investments. And so we were probably year one, Jeff and I trying to be all things to all people, meaning all founders. And I think we had to just wrap a warm blanket around them figure out what their talent needs were, where the pain was, help solve for it, do some recruiting, build a network that the portfolio could plug into our network. I mean, that was the primary... I mean, I'll never forget Andreessen's value proposition at that time, 10 years ago, I don't know if it's the same now, was we're building this network to plug our portfolios into it to help them get to market faster. Whether that was through talent or market development or whichever operating team... That was their primary goal was building a network. And in the early days, we just listened to founders, did everything we could to help them. And then we realized there were trends. There were trends and areas that we could go deep and where we could be most effective. And then I would say that in year two, we applied metrics. We, we didn't have any metrics. And if you're not going to measure, like, why do it, right? And I think building some metrics around what we're doing, that kept us focused. And then we probably realized that we needed to start hiring people. If we we're going to build a network and we needed to have specialization. And so we hired someone to run the product network, someone to run go-to-market network and the GNA network. And it was like only three talent partners at that time. And I think there's a lot more people now and it's totally changed. And I think Ben Horowitz said it best. This sticks with me to this day, which is Gia. He said, I don't want you to do the recruiting. Because I want you to build a network. I want you to make sure the founder doesn't make a bad hire. Hmm. Like that was the primary goal was like, because that could kill the company. It could set you back to 12 months. And so I think what the beautiful part of that experience without going into too much detail, because I could really go into a lot. I quickly realized that when you're thrown into recruiting, you're kind of a generalist. You never really get to go deep, even if you do specialize in recruiting engineers. But if you don't know how to code, then how do you, as a recruiter, how are you assessing them? And I don't mean that. I mean, some people just pick it up, right? And they're really, really good. I personally felt like being able to go deeper into a specialization allowed me to slow down, meet people, rip apart their playbook, understand intimately what they do and how they do it, where they're strong, where they're weak. But that allowed me to give better advice to founders. So I was assessing somebody, but I wasn't assessing them against a job description. So this is where Mm -hmm. recruiting is reactive and transactional. I was allowed to slow down, not be transactional, ask really dumb questions and become a student to every person I met, every professional I met, like really like try to understand what they do enough to be dangerous so that when I give advice to a founder, like I'm giving the right advice because I'm just a recruiter. (laughs) You know, I, anyway, I hope that makes sense, but that is what was special about that. 
No, it does. There's a there's a lot of good stuff in there. I'm thinking about that stop them from making a bad hire and that and the ability to talk to these leaders to talk to this network where it's not like the pressure of an interview process where yeah. you do kind of get to just know them better and, and so you can make those matchups a lot better. What I guess as you're getting the ground under your feet, learning all these founders, building the network, how did you start to understand like priority number one when you're encountering a founder and trying to understand their situation from not just their hiring ability, but their actually their business challenge? Like yeah. what's kind of the worldview that you take on for that? Yeah, that's a loaded question, but <laughs> number one, I think what's really important regardless as a recruiter in tech. I think, and when you've been doing it for so long, I think it's really important to, I think recruiters like to pattern match. And so the second you start thinking of every founder the same, when like, oh, I heard this before. Oh, I've seen this movie before. And you start to apply whatever you did with that last founder to this founder, you need to get out of the game because that's not going to do them justice. <laughs> and that maybe, maybe you're burned out. Maybe you're on a flywheel and you need to get off for a minute. But the point is like around your question around priorities when you meet founders. so. Generally, if I'm speaking to them, there's a hiring need. And I think identifying the level of pain, the level of pain that they have, because there are founders, and let's just like, what, or I've seen Series A companies, like hundreds of customers, and there's no pain. But one of their board members told them they need to hire a head of sales. Yeah. But they don't even want to hire a head of sales. I could tell. I could tell there was no pain. And, you know, I'll know it when I see it. Yeah, I got it. So there has to, like, identifying, like, their level of pain. And let's take the opposite side approach. Okay, we only have a few customers and we need to hire a head of sales. But I have no idea what I'm looking for, right? And that's more of the time. That's most of the time is that. And when you don't know what you're looking for, obviously you need to get calibrated. Obviously, I'm going to give them access to the network. I'm going to like help them get... But I think it still goes into like... I think we sometimes overhire at an early stage and therefore you've hired probably the wrong person. And it's just a very fine line especially again, early stage founders to when hiring executives, you have this hiring priority, like, what am I going to bet on? Nobody's perfect. And really like trusting and empowering this person to do their job. I see founders, maybe they read a book and they think they know how to do marketing or something like that. I think since I obviously specialize in go-to-market, I'm a little bit more sensitive to the go-to-market priorities that founders need. So I see where I see the pros and the cons of launching these searches. But I think if you can get as calibrated as possible and remember that nobody's perfect and not like over-rotating on brands, like, oh, associating a brand with greatness, like that's the wrong way to think about people. Yeah, common trap. Yes. And I understand there's sometimes priority around academic credentials and other things like management consulting, like that's going to be a plus. They're going to know how to do this job. I just beg to differ because when I look at a lot of the executives that have scaled a company, and let's say scaled a company sub 10 million to 100 million, they've never done it before. They never did it before. So what were the hard skills and soft skills in those people that allowed them to be successful? And now let's like unpack that and let's look for those qualities in someone and and not over-rotate on all these things that are noisy. Right. Sorry, that's long-winded, but I think... This is what we're here for. This is what we're here for. No, I, and I, I, we see that a lot on our side of like founders, they want to make the right hire. They try and use these different data points as like strong signals. Where did they go to school? What companies have they been at? 
how long were they at that company? You know, what are the outcomes they're responsible for? But as you're saying, there's kind of, there's the person underneath all of that. Yeah. Of what you can't get on a resume. Yeah. How do you walk a founder through that idea maze? Because I'm sure you encounter that kind of trap all the time of people trying to, I guess, quantify a person based on track record. Yeah, it's a good question. So it's always a journey. I think search, the search business is just a journey. (laughs) Yeah. How I walk, specifically maybe for a founder that's less calibrated, I think that question would apply to. So they, we all do our best to write down the job description, which I think is not great because job descriptions are super generic. A lot of people use that book, The Who, Mission, Outcomes, Competencies. I think that's super helpful. But what I think is most helpful is, what do you want this person to do? And as a recruiter, it's my job to find the evidence in someone's background that supports those outcomes and what we want this person to do. And then and then, <laughs> and then there's culture fit. And then there's other little intricacies that founders are hung up on. And so whether it's getting them off of some of those things or getting them calibrated, how I take them through the journey is like, I absolutely go after exactly what we're looking for. As a recruiter, I'm hyper, hyper targeted. I've been in the game too long that like I know so much about companies' DNA that I know where greatness has lived. So I go after the very obvious suspects. But actually, I actually... I think there's a part in the search, and maybe that's after like week three or four, where I think getting creative. And maybe that's like, oh God, I just did a search for a firm that builds litigation software. And I thought, well, what if I could find someone in SaaS that actually has a law degree? I know that's so obvious. Okay. I'm not saying that's creative, but (laughs) like, but the person didn't have something that we absolutely had as an outcome. So I think you have to get creative and show founders the parallels of other possibilities of talent that you can recruit because that's when the magic starts happening. Like, especially in some functions like marketing, for example. And I'm just going to use that as an example because marketing is so broad and squishy that you think you need a product marketer to fill this VP of marketing role and you end up hiring a demand gen marketer. Well, that that is like the bipolar opposite of the search that we were doing. And how did that happen? Why did that happen? Well, where I'm going with this is as a recruiter, I try to show founders what they didn't ask for. And I try to give them a little bit more of a salad bar approach around the, the profiles and the people. Sometimes fit trumps all, right? Mm-hmm, yeah, like, mm-hmm. Anyway, there's some like-mindedness in this person and this founder. But the marketing comment was just like, how do we hire the bipolar opposite? Well, this person had like some very special qualities that set them apart from the rest that resonated well with the founder. And whether it's domain expertise and or I went to the same school, I know that's terrible to say. But it's, yeah, it's true though. It's true though. It happens. I mean, there's no accounting for chemistry. Yeah, I know. What I was going to say that I think if we don't do what I just said, then you're really limiting the talent pool, and that's where I was going. Like, um, given how tight the market is, right. you have to get creative, and we have to think. We got to think outside the box. And so like, if you limit the talent pool, then there's only this many people that could do your job. And then now none of those people want to come to your company. Where are we going to go next? Yeah. Yeah. We do it that all the time. I agree with you. We're like the bullseye (laughs) is probably like 50 people or something that are really qualified and who you would be excited about doing the job. But outside of that, like what are the layers outside of the bullseye and the salad bar approach, as you say, like being able to show the founder what they didn't ask for, like reading between the lines of what they're saying, what do they need versus what do they want, all of these kinds of things. And can I just say, sometimes though, I mean, many of times though, I can see they're not going to go outside the job spec. Like, so I have to give them exactly what they're looking for. And then it's very interesting to see 
how successful that person is. Because I can say, I don't want to redo a search. I wanted someone to stay in the job for a long time. <laughs> but yeah. sometimes when you're stubborn and you just like, well, maybe it's stubborn or maybe it's just like, no, I have to have this, this, and this. And if they don't have this or this, then I'm not going to hire them. Oh, and I hope that person's successful because I don't always, 50% of the time, I don't see that working out. Yeah. And to go back to something you said about the different like makeups of founders, you talk about difference in first time founders. And so much of this is an art more than a science. Like how do, what are the pattern matching the, as far as what makes someone a, a great hirer as a founder, the someone who is able to attract and retain great leaders? What are the, the patterns that you see is in, on the art side of that? Like what are the behaviors that tend to yeah. come to the surface when you think about that? Yeah, that's a good question. I'm going to start with, it's also what I admire in founders because I am assessing this founder against working with them and how they're going to recruit and who they're going to get to hire. If I put the best people in front of them from my network, like how's my network going to respond to this? Right. So I hope that this is the number one response if you asked anybody this question, but humility goes a long way. <laughs> and humility, that is like number one in a quality in a founder, but just also just how they behave throughout the process. I think. A good listener is always good. I think I can quickly assess a founder, like true, like not ability, but do they really want to invest in this function that we are hiring for? Mm. And there's so many different ways I can filter through that. And I guess when I see that a founder has built a company, let's say it's 50 people big, but when I see that he or she treats all functions, all disciplines equal, like he, she thinks of sales and product and engine finance, that those are equally important to this company. They just walk the talk, talk, talk the walk. <laughs> and that goes a long way because, hey, you're not just building a product, you're building a company. So if you're building a company, you're going to need all these people at some point and all these different respected disciplines. And if you don't respect and think highly of what these other people do outside of product and eng, then it like, you start to build not just a culture, but you start to build a reputation, but then it just comes across during the recruiting process that, yeah. And then I think those are some like, the kindness is good too. But when, if I tie it back just to the recruiting process and founders, like not necessarily behaviors, the things they do, the qualities they have, sure. I think everything sounds like Mad Libs <laughs> right now. So, okay. Insert top tier VC name here, insert famous board member name here, insert like the amount of funding here. And then you're looking for X, Y, and Z. Not like that's one in a million right now. You So how do you differentiate just the message in recruiting me as a recruiter, but also as a founder, like how are you differentiating yourselves? Like nobody cares that you got 10 million because so did like a hundred other companies last month. So I think when you're authentic in going a level deeper around product differentiation and your vision and your growth plans ahead and what you really want to be. And those are all obvious things, but like really starting the conversation off with that and less of all this other stuff. Yeah. But what I, I think some of the best qualities also in founders is when they over-communicate with candidates. And then I think what happens is when you're over-communicating throughout the process, then it's almost easier to close at that time. Yeah. And I know I'm jumping ahead around like what you're asking, but I think if you like this person and they're interviewing and so far the feedback's good, you need to somehow get personal. And a way of getting personal is more by over-communicating 
And that could just be sending an email on something great that happened that day yeah. for you as a founder, or I don't know, some news article that they are not going to go look for. Yeah, again, and then I think everybody knows about, everybody talks about values, but I associate them with traditions. And I've always said this for like probably the last six, seven years. Like I'm 100% Italian. So like we have traditions <laughs> and they're not just values. They're just like what we do. Ways of life. Yeah. Uh, and I think like that gets, that's the personal side and like it makes it easier to close. But yeah. we can't be robots in this recruiting. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. We encourage our founders to get their arms around the candidates they like early. When you're calibrated, you can get a sense from that first conversation usually. And if they speak to a co-founder, they speak to another leader and you really like them, like start getting your arms around them, start texting. Absolutely. And so when I guess in thinking about the close Mm. today, like you're saying, everybody's raised money. Everybody has great board members or X amount of customers, kind of that Mad Lib element that you were talking about. How do you think about getting creative around compensation or getting creative around the clothes? Like what are the things that you've seen work that are maybe not as conventional or would not normally just fall within your ordinary lines of recruiting? Yeah, it's interesting. (laughs) I think creative around comp seems to be at an all-time high. Let's see. So I don't know. Just trying to think, is there anything like totally different? You've probably seen it all at this point. I have seen it all. It's like, it's like, there's nothing standing out that's like, oh, you should try this. Sure. I'm going to take it back to the personal side. And I know I am just seeing more founders now, like go for a hike or go do something and outdoor activity. I know maybe just because we've been COVID because we've all been locked up for so long that for some reason, this personal going and doing something outside of work. Everybody talks about going to dinners and all these things. You know, I actually didn't. So the only the one thing I saw that was, this is not going to sound creative, but I had a candidate on a search that ended up losing to another search. And I was actually in about at least a decade, completely blindsided. Like I was like, wow. what happened? Like, so yeah. actually I'm, I'm going to take a negative and turn it into a positive, which is because yeah. I never saw this coming. And the company I was doing the search for is 100% remote. They've never, ever, ever had an office. So they were born that way. So I think being remote and, and always doing things remote is just the way to life. And that's where like we got to think about now that times hopefully have changed again. <laughs> and it wasn't this founder's like fault by any means, but maybe it's my fault for not saying like, let's do something extra. You need to fly out and go see this person. But the competition unbeknown to me I knew there was always competition, but I didn't know. This woman founder, she pulled out all the stops. I mean, and she lived in New York and the candidate was here in California. She flew out to meet him for dinner more than once. Like she Hmm. flew out like three different times to do different things with him. And that's where it was like, she was practically working with him. She was spending countless hours with him. And Uh I know everyone's time is valuable, but she had probably invested even though my founder had invested plenty of time, but she invested that personal time, probably a good 10 hours mm. of in-person time. Okay, which is different. And I don't know if we could have done anything different because there were other variables to this, but it did make an... He felt wanted. Yeah, He felt like loved. He felt yeah. over-communicated with. And none of this is new information that I'm sharing. It's just, it made a big difference. I think it's a good distinction between interview time and personal time. Yeah. That there's like formal interview time, assessment, opening the curtains on your business. But then there's actual like as humans, 
let's spend some time together and create a real connection. I think people tend to, it's usually not what you're doing, it's who you're doing it with. Yeah. Uh, that becomes kind of the X factor and being able to get close your arms around people that way. I can see that totally making a difference. Not to give another example, but like actually a search I wasn't working on, but a candidate that confided in me during his search process. So this is like the thing, the situation I just described went over a period of time, let's just say two to three months. You can do the same thing in the period of a month. And a right. person I know that, ended up joining this company. I think he and the founder spent 20 hours together within less than a month and it moved really, really fast. But that's actually where also people are making a lot of mistakes is moving too fast, which goes to investing the time, both professional and personal. So be very careful to not rush through this. And that's why investing that time, but things are moving so fast right now. It's crazy. And I think if you know it, when you see it and you want to hire someone and being decisive and doubling down on investing the time, you can close them. Yeah. 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 Let's talk about that for a second about this zoom out on the market because we are seeing layoffs every which direction in public markets and private markets. We're seeing companies get ghosted by their investors. We're seeing certain investors start to pull back and be more prudent with their investments. We're seeing valuations get slashed. And there's a whole generation of founders that have never seen a bear market before. What are some of the advice that y'all are giving to your founders as they're kind of riding these waves? What are some of the things that maybe these founders should be thinking about during this period? Or Yeah, it's like top of mind for almost every conversation I'm having right now, whether I'm having it with founders or investors or let's say candidates, talent. Sure. You know, what am I telling founders will ask me straight up and I'm like, well, there's like maybe three different camps and camps in the, as far as candidates. Mm-hmm. There are those that maybe have come off of some success and they're sitting off of an IPO and successful IPO and they made money or whatever the situation was and they are ready to do something new. There's a level of risk aversion from those people that are sitting in more of the public market side that have like a stock price that's still decent. And by the way, let's just, I won't say any names, but like when I say decent, well, your stock went out at 400 and now you're at 150. What I'm hearing from the investors is that's normal. Hmm. Actually, we're actually getting back to normal Hmm. on some of these stock prices and maybe how valuations will get right-sized. But so this camp of people that have been sitting, that are sitting at a public company and have liquidity, even though the liquidity is nowhere near what it used to be, and they are going to just, they're trying, they're sitting tight because it's a sure thing. They're just, they can just for the next three to six months sit tight. Yeah. And I mean, some of those people are also telling me, you know, gee, I don't know if this is going to be like COVID where we went down for a minute and then we rebounded, or is this going to be more longer term? So I can't, like, that's someone's personal choice. And and then there are people that are sitting inside those public markets that are like, oh, my golden handcuffs aren't so golden anymore. They're rusty uh-huh. and I'm ready to go. So like, I loving that. That's the other camp. And I kind of love that camp because like they're a little bit more risk adverse. Yeah. And then those that are like maybe sitting in startups and regardless of the situation at the startup, I think those that are this really, really high valuation where their, their valuation is 100x of their revenue... I think those people are definitely questioning, what am I doing here? Uh, And where last year I saw the pendulum of talent really, really want to go to all these unicorns. Every day there was a new unicorn. And so the talent market was like, oh, you know, another bright, shiny penny. Oh, I'm not going to go to this early stage startup. I'm going to go to this one over here that has a billion dollar valuation. And now, like, now I'm seeing the pendulum. This talent now is like woke up and was like, I'm better off going into an early stage company that doesn't have this ridiculous valuation. And there's a path to potentially 
greater return over time if I go earlier stage. And I don't know. And so that's good. And for founders, I feel like it's interesting. Every time I've been in a down market, it's always a great time to pick up top talent on the street. Right. Yeah. Are there certain things that founders should be emphasizing in their pitches to candidates during a market like this? Like, is the, does it make the pitch kind of different in that way, especially compared to maybe what they would pitch an investor in this kind of market? Yeah, I think they're almost pitching like they would to an investor. And but with like, I think it's it is interesting to know how to do it. Conversation number one, but it is interesting to know like, okay, you know, sure. Where are you from a revenue and valuation standpoint? It's okay if you're 1 million in revenue, and but your valuation isn't so ridiculous. I feel like that is for executives. I mean, I don't, I'm not saying you don't say it to... I don't know if you say it to everyone. They're going to find out if you give them an offer anyway. So, but I think, you know, there's also this whole... Also, like I want to be careful with founders, like to not waste time with people that are maybe made a lot of money in the last three, four years, depending where they are. And now they're on the market and they know they want to go to something early for all the dynamics, but they're actually maybe, I don't want to say they're too rich, but the hunger and the drive is like lacking. Like be careful spending time with this person that's, I'm just going to make this up, coming out of Airtable. Like I don't, Airtable, like I'm not saying anybody's leaving. Yeah, no shots at you, Airtable. (laughs) Yeah, but I mean like, oh, that's a bright, like the founder's like, oh, wow, look at this person. So amazing. They've been at Airtable for four years and Oh, they're talking to me and and they are amazing, but this person maybe made some money and doesn't really need to work just yet. Right. And I almost like watch out for some of the people that maybe made some money that say that they want to go to an early stage company, but they really don't, the drive and the hunger isn't there. Right. I don't know why that is, but it just, I'm seeing it. I'm seeing it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it it is like the risk appetite and what you have to lose and how hard you're willing to go to to get the next thing. It is like everybody kind of has their own calculus in the heart, in the spirit uh, around that kind of thing. That's right. Yeah. And maybe this is something too, is like, we think a lot, we talked about like the bullseye of the usual suspects of who you would want for a role. And then there's kind of the layers outside of that. We think about that in terms of seniority as well, of like the step up candidate and like the aspirational are they even attainable type of candidate? Like, I guess, do you have thoughts around that, around how founders maybe think about that seniority gap of someone who's up and coming and really hungry versus someone who's been there, done that, and maybe in a different of how you assess them or... Yeah. Yeah. It's tricky because I would say that the question, the answer is a little bit different depending on the stage of company. Sure. And if you want me to... Not not that you're asking me to, I can can quickly... On the earlier stage side, I think you absolutely should be looking at step-up candidates. And for all the reasons in the world that makes sense uh, to me, I feel like that's 90% of the time what we are hiring for an early stage company to say, oh no, I need to have been there, done that person. Well, like you have a couple of things with that type of person, unfortunately, which is, do they have enough intellectual like horsepower or actually intellectual curiosity to actually come in and customize their playbook for your company? Right. Because... If they've done it over and over and they've been there, done that, then they have this process and system that they follow, that they adhere to. And when they come into a different place and things are a little different, they're a little bit more stubborn right. in their ways. And so I've seen more failures there than successes. And quite frankly, some of the more been there, done that, they don't have as much hunger and they're actually very picky about going to something early, early stage again. And so it's probably just not even the best candidate unless they possess all the things I just said. 
Right. Yeah. Yeah. IQ off the charts, super hungry, driven, want to run around the bases again. If they want to run around the bases again and they have a good enough intellectual horsepower, you know, curiosity more so than hire that person, been done, then hire that been there, done that person. Absolutely. But then the up and comer also, I think I try to focus on, you know, because sometimes we get into this topic of head of, oh, no, no, gee, I want to call mm-hmm. it head of versus VP. I'm like, okay, well, like, I still love the saying title is the cheapest thing you can give away, but a lot of people don't like that. I still think it's funny, but head up, head up means it means director. Let's be honest. And so the question is, have they earned it? If they are that high potential step up, is it earned? Ask yourself, is it earned? If you can't honestly say they've earned the VP title, then you probably shouldn't hire them. Hmm. And because you need to believe in this person. And I mean, now, I've been in the situation where we're not going to give you that title, but we want to hire you anyway. And we've made it work. But in that, in those situations, I feel like maybe everybody was ahead of. So there wasn't another VP sitting at the table. So you can get away with that sometimes. Right. It's really tough. I think you got to be, you don't want to miscommunicate that the head of versus VP. And then, so yeah. So step. Yeah. It can send mixed signals. It can send mixed signals for sure. Yeah. And then I'm sorry, I wanted to say one thing on that when I said it depended on stage. So I'm stage agnostic. I do early, mid, late stage. And even the late stage things, companies that are 100 million in revenue, I'm not sticking the top guy in there did the top job prior. Mm. I'm actually putting in the, I hate to say number two, but I'm putting in that person that has seen greatness, that is hungry and wants a trophy. The person that doesn't have the trophy yet, that's actually who's getting the job at the late stage stuff. And I'm not saying all the time, I'm not saying all the time. I mean, there's definitely repeat offenders and (laughs) they still have to possess all the things that we talked about, right? Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, a serial winner is like, that's a special person at special moments in time for sure. Yeah, I'm seeing some of the serial winners now start their own companies, which is great. Yeah. 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 No, I love it. We love it. Okay, so we're almost at time here, but before I let you go, who are some founders that you really admire and why? Um, do you really want me to say their name? I'm just kidding. I can say it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're giving people their flowers, you know, who are some of the shout outs of people that... But then I feel like, and then if anybody hears this and then they're like, how come you didn't say me, Gia? <laughs> uh, oh my God, I have so many favorites. Some of them are just going to be more recent. That- yeah, how about the, the newcomers? So like some of your... Uh- but I'm happy to, I also want to give props to a couple more, but I had the pleasure of working with Wade at Zapier, CEO, founder at Zapier. He just embodies everything, uh, all the qualities I love uh, from humility to sense of humor, very decisive, kind, spends the time, treats all people equal, and just also just so wildly passionate about his company, like probably every founder, just listening to him and the way he talks about customers. I've seen, I met Wade when I was at YC when his company was smaller and it's much bigger now, but like he hasn't changed. He's changed, if anything, for the better. He's become a better operator and just like his enthusiasm around customers, like now is like just he just bleeds the customer. And then uh, I also worked with a founder named AJ over at Everlaw. And, you know, AJ is tons of humility, more serious, but decisive and like, seeking feedback and being constructive with it and making a decision very quickly, like really quick to make decisions, healthy decisions and take healthy risks. And I don't know. And he was just a pleasure to work with. I've worked with the most amazing female founders, Edith Harborough over at uh, Launch Darkly, 
probably one of my most favorite people. That's a sleeper company. That's a sleeper pit company. They're really strong. Embodied all the things, all the things that I've talked about. But more importantly, Edith is just natural born leader that has the ability to make decisions even without having all kinds of outside influences. And, and I think given how successful the company is, she has a ton of outside influences. And yet she is making the decision herself. I can just tell she is not easily influenced, incredibly fair. And then last, I worked with the founder, Devani, over at Transposite. And she said something I want to say for every founder. Uh, we did a search and we finished it. And again, embodies all the qualities you guys have heard me say. But we did a search in like less than 40 days. And I said, really? You want to hire this person? I I mean, most founders I work with, they want to see more candidates, more candidates, more candidates. Oh, she, yeah. she said, Gia, sometimes you just need to make a decision and move on. And I'm like, amen. Like, <laughs> amen. Can you blog about that to the universe? <laughs> <laughs> so I just, there's so many more founders I could name, but just those are a few off the top that I have a ton of respect for. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, one last question is just the uh, any parting advice you would give to founders out there trying to get their thing off the ground, trying to hire that first executive? Yeah. Don't look for perfect because nobody's perfect and Jesus is not coming to your company. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but serious, like figure out how you can augment this person that you want to hire where you've identified the imperfection figure out how you can augment them, figure out how you can make them successful. I think that bigger companies for smaller companies, a smaller company, you don't have time to probably develop someone, sure. especially as a founder. But just think about, I'm seeing more founders invest in coaches for their people super early mm, on. That's good. And I think that if in, in the recruiting world, it goes back to what I said, not sounding like Mad Libs and really being authentic and figuring out a way to differentiate yourself and your message in the market with talent. Work with your recruiter on that. Push back on your recruiter and ask your recruiter to like, how are they going to pitch the company and create a buzz in the market for you as a founder? Like, work on that pitch with the recruiter so that they're representing you right. and that's your brand. And so you want to make sure they're on point about it. So those are just some parting words. I can think of a ton more. No, <laughs> no, that's great. It's great advice. Maybe we'll have. We'll, hopefully, we'll be able to have you back. Part two. Yeah, absolutely. But thank you so much, Gia. This has been amazing. Wishing you continued success at launch. And thank you. Yeah. Talk again soon. Awesome. Thanks, Nigel. Have a great day. The Gradients is brought to you by Build Talent. To find out more about us, head to buildtalent.io and make sure to search for The Gradients in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Click follow so you don't miss out on any future episodes. And on behalf of everyone here at Build, thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.